Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. The midterm elections are frequently described as possessing historic importance. Today, we're discussing how you can be an informed midterms voter. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We want to give a shout out to all our patrons. These are the people who support Pantsuit Politics on a monthly basis with donations ranging anywhere from a dollar a month to a hundred dollars a month. And you get all kinds of bonus content, um, mainly Beth, primarily Beth. I do it sometimes. It does nightly nuances um, every evening, which are like five to 10 minutes on a news story or a court case. Um, they're really fantastic. And we also do a monthly bonus episode. So if you're looking for more content from Pantsy Politics, or you just want to support a listener supported show, then head on over to patreon.com slash Pantsy Politics. And I want to thank Cody Adams, one of our listeners who joined me for an all patrons exclusive episode. Cody and I talked about 
political identity. And I think it was a really interesting conversation and so appreciated Cody joining me. So everyone who supports us on Patreon can get access to that discussion. So we wanted to kick off today's show by continuing our conversation about the situation with Jamal Khashoggi, a Saudi Arabian journalist, Washington Post columnist, and U.S. resident who has disappeared since stepping foot in the Saudi Arabian consulate in Turkey um, earlier or later last week. It's been so strange to see accounts that are simultaneously accepting Turkey's reporting that he was brutally murdered, dismembered, in fact, and at the same time saying, we haven't confirmed this, we don't know exactly what's happening. I would have thought by this point, we would have more concrete, confirmed information. So there's so many interesting moving parts to this. One, Turkey recently released an American pastor who'd been held in Turkey since 2016. There's a lot of speculation that this was to sort of nudge the Trump administration and supporting Turkey in its conclusion that Saudi Arabia has murdered Khashoggi. Saudi Arabia is sticking to its guns and saying he just walked out the consulate, even though there's no evidence of that. There's a lot of reporting surrounding Khashoggi's Apple Watch that Turkey says points to um, the fact that he was killed inside the consulate. Um, And in the mean, it's sort of in the midst of all this, President Trump has been he's just been he's been real chatty lately. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this. I mean, he's been doing interviews. He's been all over the rallies, but he also did a 60 Minutes interview where he specifically talked about this and his um, approach to Kim Jong-un and lots of lots of problematic um rulers across the world. Leslie Stahl asked him about Kim Jong-un, and she said he presides over a cruel kingdom of oppression, gulag, starvation, slave labor, public execution. This is a guy you love. He said, I know all these things. I get along with him, okay? Let it be what it is to get the job done. And he sort of was the same way about Khashoggi in Saudi Arabia, like, oh my gosh, it would be so terrible if this is what happened. But then he's coming out this morning and saying, oh, well, maybe after talking to the king of Saudi Arabia and saying, well, maybe it was just rogue killers. And and because they they Saudi Arabia released some very, very strong language about the consequences should the United States um, take any action because they believe Saudi Arabia killed Khashoggi. And he's just very like, "Eh, I don't know. I mean, if it happened, it would be bad, but we don't really want to hurt ourselves. And that's what matters. I loved Politico's. Um, characterization of the the Trump doctrine, which is basically a shoulder shrug. It's all so not surprisingly, but it's he treats everything so transactionally, transactionally, and that's what really bothers me about this. Because I would like to believe that as Americans, there is more fueling our foreign policy than just pure self interest. Although, in fairness, I mean, maybe he's just saying openly the way we've been acting all along. I don't know. I think there you might have. You might fairly have whiplash if you're a Republican on this because the Bush years were all about our values, right? Leading with our values. We want to bring democracy throughout the world to to very negative consequences. One of the most fair things the president has said is that we we overreached in the Middle East during the Bush years. I think that's true. I think we did it with noble intentions, um, bad information, and some really self-interested people at the helm. But we did overreach during that time. I don't think the answer to that is to say, well, we we solely become mercenaries in the world. 
And that's really how Trump mm-hmm. campaigned, and it's really how he's governed, except for his foreign policy infrastructure coming in behind him to try to clean that up and navigate some middle road. Well, and we had that 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 tiny little moment with Syria when there were kids, and that seemed to have bothered him a little bit. And so I think we we did a few airstrikes, but it's so problematic to me. It's so, like I said, it's purely transactional. It says that all America cares about in the world is its self-interest. And what happens, you know, I don't want to be alarmist (laughs) or, or hyperbolic, but honestly, what happens when the biggest powers in the world, the United States, China, to a certain extent, Russia, just care about themselves? And there's no one saying with a global economy, with a global order, hey, there are certain values that we are trying to protect here, but it's all, you know, live and let live. Everybody watch out for themselves. I don't know. I think that that is an incredibly dangerous position for everybody to be in, including those countries. Well, I think that we're pretty close to that. I think we are there with China and Russia, Mm -hmm. and I think the United States is pretty close to that. I think the European Union is trying to stand in the middle of the world to say, hey, everybody, global order is important. Yeah. Norms are important. Yeah, we're in this together. Hello. I think for the next American president, a real key, as I cast my vote for the next American president, is going to be someone who has a very coherent philosophy on our war powers and who respects Congress's role in determining when we're going to use those war powers. Because I think as I look at the mistakes made in the Clinton years, the mistakes made in the Bush years, the mistakes made in the Obama years, and now it's happening in the Trump years, I I believe in the values that Clinton, Bush, Obama brought to foreign policy. I don't think they differ all that much from one another when you get right down to it. The trouble to me is the exercise because congressional authorization was broad and nonspecific, and it led to us using drones sometimes without the American people knowing mm-hmm. it. I, I am not so naive as to believe that the public could do an up or down vote on every exercise of military power in the world. But I think a president who looks at the world stage as it exists today and and looking forward is going to have to be able to lead us toward a better balance of congressional authorization um, versus sort of ad hoc decisions based on when my heart is touched by what's happening out there. But I certainly don't think that this approach of always looking out for our economic interest and so we'll make a deal with anybody is something that most of the American public could get behind. I don't want to send American citizens across the world. You know, if our only motivation is this transactional approach to foreign policy, then why do we have American citizens stationed all over the world? I don't want to put them in harm's way. I don't want them... If we're just looking out for ourselves, then I don't think we need bases every all over the globe because in theory they're there to maintain some sort of global order and to protect our interests of course but our interests have always been aligned with maintaining global order that's what i think is really lost in this is the idea that this is the that protecting global order protecting liberal democracy has been has only cost americans and has not given us any benefit has not 
grown the economy in ways that have benefited America, has not um, protected American lives. And that's what I think so short-sighted about it, is that the idea that this is only, that this approach is, has only had downsides and no upsides. I'm pretty, ha- I don't know about you, but I'm pretty happy we haven't had a world war since the 1940s. Well, that's right. And we, we don't know about all of the attacks on our country that have been prevented and attacks on, in other parts of the world that have been prevented because of what we do. And I, I'm sure that what we do calls out for reform in many places. And I think you see us working toward that in some of those places. I really respect the way that Secretary Mattis has studied the issues in Africa and is trying to figure out what is the right amount of troops to have in Africa and what are, what is the mission there? And how do we ensure that that mission stays focused and doesn't unnecessarily jeopardize American lives? I mean, there are places where you can see sort of the foreign policy establishment adapting to the world as it is and trying to make good progress that ensures that we we have a reason to be where we are and that we are where we are as safely and efficiently as possible that to me is completely at odds with the president's personal relationships with folks who who are unquestionably a threat to not only american values across the world but to america our country well i talked for a second about what's on my mind as we elect a new president and the 2020 talk is ramping up. And as much as I think many of us are like, oh, I don't want to do this. It is here. It is time. And my hope is that we can have a better process in 2020 than we had in 2016. But Sarah, you were very excited about a Democrat who is just she's doing it. She's coming out swinging. Yeah. Listen, here's the thing. One of the first pieces of advice that I got when I was running for city commission advice that you give to people considering office generally is occupy the field, right? Come out big, may raise a lot of money, line up a lot of support. You got to really get in front and look like you're the front runner and intimidate your competition so that they don't run. And you can see that already happening on the democratic side because there is a in my opinion, a deep bench that I'm very proud of. I think there's a lot of really great Democrats who would make wonderful presidential candidates. And you also have primary debates beginning next year for the Democratic Party. And so there's going to be sort of requirements to get into the to the debates. And you see people sort of getting in front of that because if you get a list out of a couple of debates, then you don't make the cut. Then you're really then you've you've got an uphill climb in a serious way. So I think the person seemingly doing the most to occupy the field is Elizabeth Warren. She went on a big foreign policy trip. She's raised a ton of money. She is, she's hired a lot of Obama people, a lot of Clinton people. She's out there getting good staff. She's also doing a lot of party party buildings and supporting um, other candidates. And then the big news t- um, today as we're recording on Monday is that she announced her DNA results to sort of take the take the um, energy out of the the nasty racist important to point out very racist um, nickname the president has given her and so I thought it was interesting I thought it was I, I'm of two minds of it I think it's really smart and it shows that she's like, going to get in front of these stories and 
take out the flame. But at the same time, like he's neither Donald Trump nor his supporters care about her DNA results. They're still going to call her that racist nickname because they like to be politically incorrect and offensive. And so um, in some ways, I think it's kind of smart because it'll I think it takes away some of the the creeping doubt in moderate people's minds who only barely pay attention to this. You know what I mean? Like, I think they'll say, oh, she left her out. He's being unfair. And that'll kind of tamp down that narrative with people she probably cares about more. But like the base is definitely not going to care. And it's definitely going to still keep calling her that. Um, But I just think it's it's another sign that she is working very hard um, to become the party's nominee. And look, I'm here for it. I like Elizabeth Warren. I think she has been um, unfairly portrayed as this like, leftist villain, which I don't think is true. I think that she is brilliant. I think that her policies, particularly on economics, as we come to 10 years after the recession, she was a voice from the beginning saying we did not hold the correct people responsible for this, um, which I totally agree with. You have a huge proportion of the American public who are, who was left out of the recovery, who never required, who never recovered that wealth. You have an economic system that most Americans perceive as unfair. And she speaks to that eloquently with a great amount of expertise and a great amount of passion. I believe her when she talks about this. And I feel like somebody finally is smart enough to understand. I think she has a very good combination of the intelligence to understand a very complex financial system and the passion and charisma to speak about it in a, in a way that most Americans can relate to and understand. And I think um, hopefully what we've learned is that that's what people care about. They care about their pocketbooks. You know, they don't care about, for better or for worse, I don't think there's a lot um, when it comes to a presidential race that, I mean, I think there's a lot of emotions, but so much of that is tied to how people feel about their economic place and their ability to rise above it. And I think she is very well situated to speak to that. So I don't know. I I think it's, I think it looks good. I do. Politically, I see the release of the DNA as more a contrast to President Trump in terms of transparency. Look, I'm giving you my DNA. He won't even give you his tax Mm -hmm. returns. So I think it's smart in that way. Right, right. I'm not excited about Elizabeth Warren running for president, but I'm not the target audience for that. And I'm interested to see how it... that's necessarily true, though. I don't think you're not not the target audience. I think you might be part of the target audience. What what makes you say that? Well, I think she's going to definitely want disaffected women from the Republican Party. She needs, you know, suburban, highly educated, disaffected conservatives and moderates. She needs those people. She's smart enough to know that. She wants you to. She's not going to roll in there like Bernie Sanders. She's not traveling abroad because she's going to roll in there like Bernie Sanders. I'm just, that's not happening. I don't, I don't think that that's going to be her strategy. I think she will be aiming a lot of her stuff at you. Well, I'm, I'm open to it and I'm watching and listening. I mean, certainly I would like a, I would like a Republican primary challenge to the president and I'm hopeful for that. Um, and we'll see where it goes. I, I am excited, though, to watch because I do think there are so many options on the Democratic side and so many very, very different options. I'm excited to watch the Democratic primary and how it, how it plays out. I've been so fascinated by the conversation among Democrats that I'm observing about Michael Avenatti. And I think 
to its credit, the bulk of those voices saying, we don't fight fire with fire. We don't want our own version of Donald Trump. Um, and then the people saying, but that's the only way. You know, it's it's been really interesting to me to observe that. And so I'm excited to see how the Democratic primary shakes out this time. And I'm hopeful that we can have some candidates that we're all, instead of having a 2020 conversation about the worst choice, and I know that that was unfair and I don't want to relitigate that here today, but instead of having that conversation, I would love it if we could say, hey, 2020, we have some real options as Americans that will require us to think and use our brains to decide which one we choose. I think that would be exciting. Well, before we get to 2020, we're going to talk about 2018 in our main segment of the show and how to feel prepared as a voter walking into the voting booth. Before we do that, we like to have a small moment um, on every Tuesday show to share a moment of gratitude because we think that's an important exercise as Americans because we spend so much time taking in the news and talking about politics and generally being cynical and skeptical about our current um, politics and government and definitely the, the other side. And so we like to take a small moment to express gratitude for something happening in our world, in our country, in our planet, with our party or the other party. Um, I'll go first because Bess is very... Um, sweet and more in-depth and mine's pretty shallow. Um, I'm just grateful for the royals, y'all. I just love the royal family. We had a wedding this weekend, which was beautiful. Did you look at the wedding at all, Beth? I mean, I looked at some pictures of um, Eugenie. Okay. Eugenie, yeah. This is Fergie's daughter, Fergie and Prince Andrew, who, um, ongoing love story, I'm obsessed with the royal family because they got divorced, but they've lived together for like the last 12 years, and there's all this talk that they really want to get remarried, which I think is super sweet, but Prince Philip is staying in the way. Okay, so I've read too much about this. But the point is, her, their daughter got married, and she wore this beautiful dress, and then she had the back um, out so you could still see her scoliosis scar and she had all these beautiful statements about scars can be beautiful they show what you survived also her tiara was beautiful love the whole thing love the wedding the royal wedding brings me a lot of joy and then this morning we found out that Meghan Markle is pregnant and we're gonna get another royal baby and I'm just so happy I'm so happy I hope they have a girl in the name or Diana I'm sorry I'm just so in it I just think it's so fun I'm not saying anybody else needs to care about it I'm just saying that the royal family and the weddings I'm invested and it brings me a lot of joy and I'm very grateful that in our current news environment, the royal family comes up every time and is like, hey, hey, everybody, it's been a tough week. Would you like to look at pretty dresses and think about royal babies? And I would like to respond. Yes, I do. And I'm grateful for you, royal family. Thank you. I am going to take this in a very different direction. <laughs> ah, it's so good, though. We're so complimentary. So one of my media heroes is Sherry Lynch, who co-hosts The Bob and Sherry Show, which I have listened to since I was in high school. And she shared on Facebook a link to an obituary. And I know it sounds like a strange thing to be grateful for an obituary, but I am grateful for this one. I'm not going to share all of the details, but I do want to read parts of it because I think that this family decided upon the death of a loved one to give a gift to everyone who reads this obituary. Um, about drug addiction. So the, the person who died is Madeline, and the family writes, while her death was unexpected, Madeline suffered from drug addiction, and for years we feared her addiction would claim her life. We are grateful that when she died, she was safe and she was with her family. And they go on to talk about all the things that she loved to do in exquisite detail. They talk about her high school time, trips that she took, 
They say it is impossible to capture a person in an obituary, and especially someone whose adult life was largely defined by drug addiction. To some, Maddie was just a junkie. When they saw her addiction, they stopped seeing her. And what a loss for them, because Maddie was hilarious and warm and fearless and resilient. She could and would talk to anyone, and when you were in her company, you wanted to stay. In a system that seems to have hardened itself against addicts and is failing them every day, she befriended and delighted cops, social workers, public defenders, and doctors who advocated for and believed in her till the end. She was adored as a daughter, sister, niece, cousin, friend, and mother, and being loved by Madeline was a constantly astonishing gift. And they talked about the birth of her son and her efforts to become sober and how many times they thought that she was going to get there, but the addiction just kept pulling her back. And then they end by saying, If you yourself are struggling from addiction, know that every breath is a fresh start. Know that hundreds of thousands of families who have lost someone to this disease are praying and rooting for you. Know that we believe with all our hearts that you can and will make it. It is never too late. If you are reading this with judgment, educate yourself about this disease because that is what it is. It is not a choice or a weakness, and chances are very good that someone you know is struggling with it, and that person needs and deserves your empathy and support. If you work in one of the many institutions through which addicts often pass, rehabs, hospitals, jails, courts, and treat them with the compassion and respect they deserve, thank you. If instead you see a junkie or thief or liar in front of you rather than a human being in need of help, consider any profession. We take comfort in knowing that Maddie is surrounded by light, free from the struggle that haunted her. We would have given anything for her to experience that freedom in this lifetime. Our grief over losing her is infinite, and now so is she. And I just thought that was so beautiful and so important and and really a gift for a family in its most heartbreaking moment to say to the world, I want you to understand what this mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Next up, we ask on Instagram what you wanted to hear more about. We've got lots of questions on the midterms, so we're going to do our best to answer those questions. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy beet treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy 
I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now, and there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. Sarah, I ask listeners on Instagram what they wanted to hear more about lately, and I would say a good 60% of their responses, this is my unscientific ballparking, concerned the midterm elections. So we thought today we would go through some issues involving national elections, but also our perspectives on how you can be an informed voter at the state and local levels as well. And before we get into this... Go ahead. It's a good reminder that um, we have been talking about the midterms for a long time, but normal people with normal lives who don't talk about politics a couple hours a week are like, oh, man, it's close because it is. It's getting real close. So before we dive into this, I want to remind everybody for national races, the Pansy Politics community has been working on a spreadsheet together to share perspectives from their districts. And so we'll put the link to that spreadsheet in the show notes, but you can look for your state and see what listeners in your area have to say about different candidates. And we've asked people to include links and to only share information about their districts so that this doesn't become sort of a a walking advertisement, but it's really a sharing among our community of listeners. One of the first things we wanted to talk about is that there's been a lot of reporting um, across several states about voter suppression. And voter suppression can be defined pretty widely um, from new laws requiring different um, IDs to um, purging of the voter rolls. And, you know, as a Democrat, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest and um, say that most of these, particularly voter ID laws and definitely the purging, um, seems very, seems to have very partisan motivations. Partisan, there are partisan motivations. I think that there are significant 
racial disparities in the way that these mm-hmm. laws roll out socioeconomically. They they hurt poor people. Um, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. why. So two states have been in the news a lot, North Dakota and Georgia. Very different issues in these states. In North Dakota, there's a voter ID law requiring residents to show identification with with a current street address. P.O. boxes do not qualify. That is the kind of law that I think in the abstract sounds reasonable to people. But North Dakota has many Native American reservations, and some of those reservations don't use physical street addresses. So lots of Native people have IDs that have been um, associated with P.O. boxes or don't have an address at all. In the past, those IDs have been accepted at polling places, but they will not be accepted this year. And the Supreme Court declined to overturn the law without any explanation, except for Justice Ginsburg, who wrote a dissent. Justice Kagan joined in that dissent. In case you are interested, Brett Kavanaugh did not join in the decision here. So if you show up in North Dakota as a Native person who does not have a physical street address on your ID, you will not be allowed to vote. You can provide supplemental documentation in the form of things like utility bills. But if you think about the the targeted population here, the folks who aren't going to be able to show a physical street address on an ID, it's very probable that those folks are also not going to have those forms of supplemental documentation. And in court filings, the state represents that 18,000 North Dakotans don't have those kinds of documents. North Dakota also does not have advanced voter registration. So you could find out that this is a problem when you show up to vote instead of in advance. And if you think about people who are homeless or in housing transition, um, this is a pretty significant barrier to being able to exercise your rights as a citizen. Well, and I just think it's so hard to explain to people why voter ID laws are problematic. I think people hear voter ID and most people just think, I have an ID, what's the big deal? Um, And they don't understand the long, they don't understand, right, the, like you said, sort of just the, the pragmatic realities of the poor or people with housing instability, because they've never experienced that themselves. They don't understand some of the cultural issues, I think, that surround um, certain populations with being asked for ID. Like, I remember, there, you know, there's so many things that go around around Election Day. I remember when I did um, legal protection at the voter booth for the 2012 election, I think, in Philadelphia. And there were all these flyers that were like, you know, if you go to vote, they're going to get you for back child support. If you go to vote, there's like, it's just, it's, I think there's a cultural idea that like, if I go and I present and they, they start asking me for documentation, they're going to get me for something else. They're, they're not there because they want me to vote. They're going to get me for um, fines or fees or warrants or whatever. And so it's just, it's intimidating. It's, it's, it's a voter intimidation process. That's a really good point. Here's what you can do if you're in North Dakota and worried about this. If you contact your county 911 coordinator, you can sign up for a free street address and request a letter confirming that address. And there are groups all over North Dakota trying to help people do just this thing. They um, are very frustrated because doing this on an individual level versus on a tribal level creates 
a much lower probability that everyone can get this done in advance of voting. But that's what you need to do. We'll put a link in the show notes so that you can find information on how to do that. Um, And I, you know, I have to say it really bothers me that Republicans are doing this and that it is becoming a partisan issue. Every party should have an interest Mm -hmm. in democracy and in people being able to exercise their right to vote. And I think it is just such an incredible shame and, and a shame in every sense of that word that overwhelmingly Republicans have been behind efforts to disenfranchise people. And I want to be very clear about the fact that I have no defense of that. I think this is wrong. And to the extent that we can help people know how to go out and vote, I want to be sure that we're doing that. We Republicans, if you want to win elections, have better ideas, campaign harder, reach people more effectively. Trying to tip the scales like this is awful. So there's another story coming out of Georgia This story is problematic from the beginning because the secretary of state who's in charge of elections just happens to be the Republican candidate for governor, Brian Kemp. And so he's in charge of overseeing the voter roll maintenance. Since 2012, he has canceled 1.4 million voter registrations. There were 670,000 canceled in 2017. He says a new online registration system and student engagement program he implemented has made it easier for people to vote in Georgia. But right now, there's 53,000 applications from Georgia voters on hold in his office. And some people don't even know they're on hold. They don't know there's a problem and won't until they go to the polls. So there are two issues in Georgia that have created this problem. One is an exact match registration verification process. Your voter application must exactly match info on file with the Social Security Administration or the Georgia Department of Driver Services. Again, in the abstract, that sounds fine. But think about people who have moved frequently. I think about my time during college when I lived in a dorm and then an apartment and then in a house Mm -hmm. with friends for the summer between leases. You know, that is an onerous requirement for lots of portions of our population. I also thought a lot about my grandmother. So her name was Colleen Joy Thurman. And in some places, she went by Joy. So in some places, it was C. Joy Thurman. Some places, it was Joy Thurman. Some places, it was Colleen Joy. Like... Her records were all over the place in terms of how she identified mm-hmm. herself. So that is the kind of issue. Well, think about how many women are going to have that issue with maiden names. Like, exactly. I, I'm Sarah Stewart Holland. I go by all three. Like, I almost didn't get into the White House when we went to Washington, D.C., because somebody had put Sarah Stewart as my first name and Holland as my last name and, like, had Sarah Stewart as one word. So, I mean, that happens all the time when you have three names, or especially if you've changed names at some point in your life, or like, I try to use all three. I don't go by Sarah Holland. I try to go by Sarah Stewart Holland. And so it's just, what a disaster. So that exact match issue is where a lot of the problem is coming from in Georgia. Georgia also has a practice of what Kemp refers to as voter maintenance and others refer to as voter purges, but they go through registrations and cancel inactive registrations. And that can be based on return mail from an address. There are lots of issues here. Again, this disproportionately impacts people of color. And can we all agree, just state legislatures across the country, we need a process for recusal when your when your current secretary of state is on the ballot for anything else. Word. The secretary of state's office is so important in an election, and we are in such a tenuous place with our confidence in our elections. It seems so reasonable to me to say, in the event that the Secretary of State is running for any other statewide or national office, 
actually any office, right? Even if the secretary of state were running for school board, that person Mm -hmm. should be recused so somebody else can step in and oversee voting in that election. And I think it should be like, I don't know, six months one way or the other or from the date of filing or whatever it is. But this is this is an unforced error in our democracy that we could fix. Right. Well, and all this this talk about disproportionately impacting people of color, important to point out that his opponent is a black woman, Stacey Abrams. And so I don't think it takes a rocket science to figure out that her part of her outreach and a huge part of her strategy will be reaching out to voters in the African-American community. So here's what you can do about this, because this issue creeps up in states besides Georgia. It's just been a focal point in Georgia this year. Confirm your voting registration as soon as possible. You can do that at usa.gov slash register to vote. You could also go to rockthevote.org. Rock the Vote has a, a way for you to confirm your registration or to register to vote. It also gives you information state by state on absentee voting, early voting, voting if you have a criminal conviction, it's a really great resource, and it's a really good way to make sure that you know when and how to vote and that you can vote. So we thought we would also talk for a second about misinformation in elections. A lot of you ask us on Instagram, how can I know that I'm getting good, credible information about candidates? And I think there are two aspects of that to think about. One of them, I think we have more control over than the other. So one aspect is just that there's a lot of banana stuff online, and some of it's generated by parties Mm -hmm. and some from interest groups and some from pundits and some shared on Facebook a hundred times, even though it's totally bananas. And I think that's the one that we can be more vigilant about. The second is foreign interference. That's just mostly out of our control, right? Other than that vigilance that we exercise in what we choose to consume and believe, We just have to put pressure on our elected officials and trust that our intelligence community is doing its best to protect the integrity of our elections. And I think we have to not expect a perfect standard of reporting and neutrality from our news sources. I think we cannot discard the New York Times or the Washington Post because sometimes they have political editorials we disagree with. I think that we have to acknowledge that sometimes the media is going to make mistakes, but the trustworthiness with our national media is not a zero tolerance situation. And so I just it makes me so sad when people think like they just can't read the New York Times. Like, well, it was in the New York Times. So the New York Times is... (laughs) It's a reputable paper. I don't even know why I have to say that out loud. Um, and so if you, it doesn't say that you need to read only the New York Times. Check the Post. Check the check Time. Check Fox News. Check the Boston Globe. But if you don't see something that seems like a big deal across these newspapers, then that means they vetted it and didn't find it trustworthy. And if you, if you think that there's a, a slant to one of them, fine. Read another one and see how their reporting stacks up. I just think the idea that we have to discard these national reputable papers because, oh, well, they're left-leaning. is so ridiculous. I think that point you made about discarding stories is a really important one. If you think that some blog is on to a total bombshell, wait a few days mm-hmm. and see if you can find it somewhere else. If you can't find it somewhere else, you need to be very skeptical because, ev- believe yep. me, if you are seeing it, people there are seeing it too. And nobody is going to be left out of a great big story. 
It might take a couple of days, but nobody's going to be left out. And if you can't find it anywhere else, please do not trust that what you've read is factual and take that just on faith. Um, votesmart.org is a really good resource. You can put in your address and see all of the politicians, including appointed elected officials, people who you don't get to vote for, but you can see everybody who affects you, who's running in your area, and it will take you through their personal biography, their voting record, their positions. There's a political courage test where they ask candidates to just state very plainly where they are on issues from gun violence to abortion to nuclear proliferation. They will tell you if the candidates have refused to answer those questions. Um, you can see text from speeches they've given, and you can see the funding sources for those candidates all in one place. It is nonpartisan. Um, President, former President Carter started votesmart.org. So it's a really great resource to get factual information about candidates. And I want to say about what you mentioned, Sarah, on discounting a paper because of editorials that you don't agree with. I notice a trend um, from so many listeners of ours that we get these emails or iTunes reviews or something that say almost apologetically, like, I don't always agree with you. Good. I'm so glad that you don't. Because all we want to do here is start a conversation and have you think about what is important to you. And I think that's the intention of newspapers, too. I don't think the New York mm -hmm. Times is throwing up editorials so that every person who reads that editorial says, this has completely changed the way I feel about life. I think it is all mm -hmm. about stimulating discussion. And I feel like we lose that sometimes. So trying to take in information from that lens, this is supposed to make me think I should have questions when I finish. Um, that's a good, healthy place to be. I think if you're being told, like, sort of the red pill kind of philosophy, like if you're being told mm. everything else in the world is wrong and these are the facts that you must accept, that's when you're being deceived. Yes. Well, I also think with regards to the New York Times and the Post, it's also important, like, they make liberals mad a lot. I promise you there's people all over Twitter really, really pissed off about Maggie Haberman's new thing about Southerners and Trump because— they think the New York Times covers things that don't need to be covered, or they think that they are too obsessed with Trump supporters or whatever. It's not like they, it's just that liberals read the New York Times and agree with everything in it and just love it to pieces. They get pissed at the Times too. So in the post, so I, I don't know where that sort of idea came from. And I totally agree. Like this, this red pill mentality, there was a really great um, article that I, sh that I'm going to share in our, I'll put it in the show notes, but I'm also sending it out in our Patreon email. That's another perk of being on Patreon. You get a weekly email from us with stuff we're reading about Kanye West and how he got red pilled. And they talked about the YouTube. I shared a, a Twitter, a Twitter thread about this as well. I think that it's so interesting, this idea that like that the person that wrote the article has this great analogy that like people like that. <laughs> Uh, are are driving 90 miles per hour the wrong way down the freeway and interpreting the waving, the screaming and the waving of hands of people trying to alert them they're going the right way is just proof they found the quickest route. Like they just love, they love that like, oh, I'm the one that's figured it out. Oh, I'm the one who's dug into the internet and found the truth, the real reality. Like if you feel even a little bit of that bubbling up in yourselves, that is a red flag. <laughs> If you like, oh, I'm really seeing the truth of this situation that everybody else is missing out on, I'll know, y'all. I think that's a red flag. It's a red pill and it's a red flag. Yeah, I would just 
pause and consider that in the environment we live in today, a true exclusive, a true scoop, very unlikely, you know, to last more than 30 seconds. If it's if it can be verified, someone else is going to verify it. And people who are trying to indoctrinate you are the people to be viewed with skepticism. Okay. Well, and my favorite part about that is like, sorry to get off on this red pill tangent, but my favorite part about that is like the idea that, well, the reason that the media is the the main, that I'm the only one who's figured this out is because it's dangerous. It's this information so dangerous and they make so much money off of it that I'm the only one that can expose it. Oh yeah. It's so dangerous. It's all over the internet. Like, all over the internet, people making lots of money off it off YouTube. So yeah, I mean, if you want to look at a conspiracy, let's talk about the conspiracy of YouTube makes a lot of money off that crap and can very easily fix it with their algorithm so that it's not this black hole of conspiracy theories people dive down to and they're not. That's the real conspiracy we all need to be looking into with that because this stuff taints our discussions about our elections and about our candidates and about our country generally because people it plays to people's worst psychological impulses. That's why I think it's so important to have conversations about what on your ballot and what issue amendments are coming before you and what's happening at your state and local elections. Cause it's like, especially the state and local stuff, it like grounds us all in reality. I think that's right. And if you are feeling really depressed, looking at state and local elections can be a way to help dig yourself out of that. There are some great people running for office. There are probably people, you know, running for office somewhere along the line, even if it's for what feels like a relatively minor position in the scope of our democracy. It matters a lot about how your schools are funded and how what you know, what road projects get approved and what zoning looks like, things that really impact your life. Your secretary of state website is the best place to try to find out what's going to be on your actual ballot. There are resources like Ballotpedia and Vote 411 that will also show you at least portions of your what your ballot is going to look like. It is too hard today to find exactly what you're going to be voting on all the way through the local races. Um, but lots of people are working on that. So if you just Google what's on my ballot, you'll see several different options to look. But start with your Secretary of State website. You can also call your county clerk's offices. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh. Gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka 
problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. In a lot of states, there are so many ballot measures. I am looking at you, California. You are excessive um, in lots of ways, but in this way in particular. And I think what's really cool, I have a friend, friend of the pod, Leslie, who lives in California and they do like, they, she has like a group, like it's a bipartisan group and they go through and they work their way through the ballot measures together, which I think is, I mean, I am a nerd and a political nerd in particular. So getting together with friends and talking about ballot measures, I know sounds like some people's personal idea of hell, but for me, I think it sounds really fun. So, and I just think that's really, really important. That is what America was founded on was citizens getting together and debating things that were going to be affecting their future, getting together and thinking, what do you think about this? This is what I think about this. And so, you know, I think this doesn't have to be an individual pursuit. It doesn't have to be hours on the internet looking at websites. It's also a good idea to just get the ballot and sit down with your friends and family. Last night at my family dinner table, my grandmother, my mother and my stepfather and my husband and I all sat around and we literally went through the ballot and talked about each person, what we knew about each person. And we talked about uh, there's a constitutional amendment coming forward in Kentucky that we're going to talk about in a minute. And we got to one race in particular. And I think this is important, not just to educate yourself as a voter, because some of you might be out there already like working on campaigns and feel like I already know what's happening in my election. But you're a resource to your friends and family. And I think it's really important to talk to people. So my, my, we were talking about one local race with my stepfather who had picked a certain candidate and my mother 
and I expressed some very strong opinions about personal experiences we had had with one of the candidates. And he was kind of voting on a single issue. And we're like, hey, we've had personal experiences with this person and we want to share them with you. And like, he was like, you know what? Okay. And I think we like straight up persuaded him to vote for another person because you have to talk about these things, not just in sort of a um, policy black and white kind of way, but also in like, in just a, these are my personal experiences, especially with local candidates and with local issues, even with your friends and family, you'll be surprised what you don't know and what another person can share that can really change you. And I think it's just a really beautiful way to engage with the ballot and to remember that when we vote, and any research you do leading up to voting is not just an individual pursuit. Like this is a pursuit we all engage in together. This is a community effort. This is a state effort. This is a countrywide effort to talk about how we want to live together and to have those conversations with your friends, with your family, with your fellow citizens is such a great way to engage with that and to remember that. I love that. And if you are not um, up for an in-person discussion. One of the things that I try to do before every election is put on my Facebook page, hey, if you are in my area and struggling to find information on candidates, I'm going to put in the comments some articles that I found valuable. And I don't just link to candidates I support. I try to put everything I've reviewed and everything that I found just links that people can go in and check out themselves if they want to. And that's kind of my contribution to the community conversation. And that's something that anyone can do. Speaking of ballot measures, as Sarah said, there are a lot of those this time, 157 mm -hmm. of them in 38 states. 21 of those in 20 states are about election policy, redistricting, voting requirements, ballot access, really important stuff, campaign finance. Um, seven measures in five states about marijuana. Eight measures in six states concerning taxes. Um, I know that North Carolina, for example, is trying to place a ceiling on its income tax percentage. Medicaid expansion and health care is on the ballot in five states. Marcy's Law, which we're going to talk more about in a second, is on the ballot in six states, including Kentucky, where we are. Four measures in three states concerning fossil fuel and renewable energy. Three measures in three states concerning abortion access and funding. And minimum wage measures are on the ballot in two states. I am going to spend more time on these measures during the nightly nuance this week. So that's one of our Patreon features if you um, are interested in more detail information. But Sarah, tell us about Marcy's Law, which is on our ballot this year and in um, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina, and Oklahoma as well. So Marcy's Law, as Beth said, is on the ballot in several states. It's already been passed in about six other states, including South Dakota, which I'm going to talk about in a second. It's the effort of Henry Nicholas III, who's a billionaire co-founder of the semiconductor firm Broadcom. His sister was murdered and... Um, there were several efforts in the 90s to bring sort of more victims' rights into the process, but this is um, an even more aggressive approach to bringing rights to the victims into our criminal justice system. So in, in Kentucky, the ballot reads, are you in favor of providing constitutional rights to victims of crimes, including the right to be treated fairly with dignity and respect and the right to be informed and to have a voice in the judicial process? I know that that sounds really great. I don't, it's very hard to read that and think, no, I don't want victims to have dignity and respect, which I think is 
I think the wording of this ballot question is incredibly problematic. And I think it's probably how it was in, it was worded in other states. So South Dakota approved the measure in 2016. And because this gives so many rights to the victims, including with, including with a vast number of low-level crimes, the right to be notified of any public hearing involving a crime, the first of which can happen within hours of the arrest, you have things where the sheriffs have stopped asking for the public's help in solving crimes in progress to avoid inadvertently revealing a victim's location. The prosecutors have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars beefing up staff to find victims of low-level misdemeanors such as vandalisms or shoplifting. Defendants have spent additional days in jail because the prosecutor can't locate victims in time for an arraignment, according to prosecutors and defense attorneys. This is all based on reporting from the Marshall Project, which we'll share the link in the show notes. And the South Dakota House of Representatives speaker, like they're having to to go through and pass laws to undo some of this. He says the new law sounded good, but it didn't end up being what was advertised. Because here is the thing. Our criminal justice system is between two parties, the state and the accused, the state which is trying to remove somebody's liberty and the accused whose liberty is at risk. I know this sounds harsh, but the victim is not a party in this system because it's about it's not about avenging the individual person. It's about a crime that we have decided as a community is so bad that we want the state to intercede on our behalf. But it is the state which is the party in the criminal justice system, not necessarily the victim. And while I think it's so important to have victims' rights groups advocating for things like nobody, you know, this guy, the billionaire, sister was murdered and his mother, like, encountered this guy that killed her daughter in the checkout line because he had been released on bail. And that's horrific, and nobody wants that to happen. But our criminal justice system is problematic to begin with inserting a new party to the system and rights along with that party is it's really really problematic to a system that can already deprive people of their liberty and sometimes does so unfairly you know it's just due process is a very delicate thing and i think that the broad reading and understanding of this victims rights legislation is incredibly problematic and so that's why i will be voting no in kentucky for sure I plan to vote no on Marcy's law as well. I think amending the Constitution should be a very big deal, even at the mm-hmm. state level. Victims already have a number of rights in the process, or mm-hmm. at least obligations on the part of the state to keep victims informed. So where those are breaking down, I think it should be addressed. I think a victim should be notified when there's a parole hearing of a certain type of offender. You know, but a lot of that is already the law or at least procedure that's been Mm -hmm. adopted in prosecutors' offices. And I don't think right now we are at a place in, in criminal justice where we want to be adding layers of bureaucracy, where we want to be adding layers of um, cost and delay. And that's what I see in this potential law. And I agree with you, Sarah. I think the way that this is worded on the ballot, it might as well say, do you like pie? You know, because Mm -hmm. of course we want victims to be treated with dignity and respect and to have some voice in the judicial process. But the details of that matter enormously. This is being litigated in Kentucky. There's a chance that a judge will stop this from appearing on the ballot. But right now it's there. And I think this is an important example of how there are some really important things on your ballot and you can't expect to get the full 
thrust of the issue based on the ballot question itself. So it does require a little research in the process. And if you just search what ballot measures will I see in my state, you'll be able to find them and and look for pros and cons. You know, I looked at both perspectives on Marcy's Law to arrive at my decision. And that's what you want. Just who's advocating for this and why? And then what are the potential downsides? So to wrap up, we also wanted to talk about local races. We've gotten some emails saying, how do I know what kind of judicial candidates to vote for or city commissioners? And fortunately, we have a city commissioner here on Pansy Politics. So, Sarah, I would love to know what you think should matter to people when they vote in local races. So, yes, I am up for re-election. I just served my first term on the Paducah City Commission, and I'm up for re-election. I just had my very first political scandal, which I'll be sharing on Instagram today. So if you're interested in hearing about that, you can go over to our Instagram account and <laughs> listen to my my recounting of my very first political scandal. Um, I think that what to look for in local races, you know, so often it comes down to name recognition, and that can mean a lot of things. It can mean good things. It can mean the person was really invested in your community, and that's why you recognize their name. It can mean that they have a lot of money to spend on things that up your name recognition, like television ads and radio ads. And so, you know, I think usually in our community, there's a lot of candidate forums. Um, it's There's been a lot of great movement in recent years. So we just did a debate, and you can watch the debate online, even if you couldn't make it to the debate live. So you can get so... I think in, see any sort of event online or otherwise that you can see all of the candidates together and watch how they speak and interact and talk about your community. It's just it's always very, very informative. And you can really see where people's um, passions line, what they talk about first and what they think is really important. Also, the good thing about local races is you can reach out if you have a question. Though almost every local candidate has a Facebook page, you can message and say, hey, this is the issue I care about. What's your stance on that? Or, um, you know, we all have friends, I think, that are more involved in our local government, not necessarily even necessarily running. Ask their opinion. Say you've like especially anybody, if you know, attorneys that work in a courthouse, they're going to have a good perspective on judges or prosecutors, state's attorneys, people like that. So you can say, what do they like to work with? Do they do a good job? Um, and, you know, I, I think that looking to personal interactions um, reading their websites, looking at their their social media presence or any sort of live events they've done is is really helpful because you can get a better sense of who they are and, and what their priorities are for the community. I try to remember with local candidates, too, that this is more akin to a person applying for a job than mm -hmm. advertising a brand. We've talked about this before. So I really look at candidate websites to see what they're talking about. I want to hear about what you're going to do in this job not where you stand on hot-button political issues. And to me, it's a real testament to how the person is thinking about their time in office if they've loaded up their website with partisan talking points instead of, you know, I'm running to be this locally, and so here are the local issues that I want to address. Here are my ideas about what I would do in this particular office. Um, I find that Usually candidate websites, you know, are not going to be fact-checked, but to know what that person prioritizes in his or her own words is important to me. No, I totally agree. I think that's a really good way to look about it. If there, I mean, there's so many dog whistles that people use to, per, to, to portray their partisanship, 
And I think the more you have to rely on those and the less you can talk with um, expertise and passion about real local issues, it's, it's not great. It's not great. My great son. And also, don't discount local newspapers. That's a great resource in local elections. And just like Sarah said, if you're not seeing what you want to see, you can write a letter to the editor and ask for it. You know, you can contact your local newspapers and say, I don't feel ready to make this vote. I'll tell you, I don't think the press in Kentucky has done a great job with Marcy's Law. I think it's really difficult to find good Kentucky resources that go into depth about the details of this. So I should shoot an email to one of our papers to say, can you can you talk about this from both sides? Because we need better information before this important ballot initiative. So we hope we've given you some tools and a good start to become an informed voter because November 6th will be here before you know it. That Of that, I am absolutely positive. Next up, we will talk about what's on our minds outside of politics. Sarah, what are you thinking about outside of politics? I am recovering from a heck of a fall break. I spent a full 24 hours in the car. I figured I did the math on that. I started the week... In New York City with my two older boys, we ate a lot of food. We went to see Wicked, thanks to the generosity of a pan- Jennifer, a Pantsuit Politics listener, which was amazing. And we went to the Natural History Museum. We walked, we walked, we walked. Then I came back um, thinking I was going to have a weekend of single parenting while my husband went on a hiking um, expedition in the Smoky Mountains. Then his hiking partner got injured, and I became the hiking partner, and I went on a 10 mile in, camp overnight, five mile out hike in the Smoky Mountains, partially on the Appalachian Trail with my husband, which um, was in stark contrast to how I started the week in Manhattan, although both involved a lot of walking. Um, It was really, really beautiful. Like I said, I I had a minor political scandal in Paducah, so be able to escape to the mountains with no cell service was really, really nice. And we had some beautiful time and vistas and I can't quite use my legs, which is fine because <laughs> I'm sitting down recording today, but um, it just was really, really great. It was a it was a tiring fall break, but a reviving um, and re-energizing one at the same time. So just recovering from that today as we get back to the normal swing of things. I cannot believe that you did that hike on the fly. I sent on the fly. I sent Sarah a text message right after she got back and was like, "Please get in the bathtub with Epsom salts immediately." I did do that. I only minorly took the edge off of them, but I did. I mean, it was on the fly, y'all. I bought hiking boots the day before, so it was it was serious. I mean, I I walk a lot. I'm not out of shape, but um, my legs are sore. But so are my husband. So it's just that's when you're going uphill like that. I mean, we went we took two miles almost directly up, and then three miles downhill. So it was it was a lot. It was a lot. That is a lot. You ask a lot of this, like, so you did New York City and then hiking. Yeah. I mean, a lot. Your, feet, your feet are owed some good massage time from somewhere. Yeah, that's happening. That's going to happen for sure. What's on your mind outside politics? I purchased a meal planning system from the Lazy Genius, Kendra, and I am working on getting my dinner life in order. I do not typically meal plan. This is completely out of character for me, but I am tired of getting to three, four o'clock and thinking, what are we going to do for dinner? And more often, my husband saying at three, four o'clock, what do you want for dinner tonight? And me being annoyed with him because I'm thinking about everything except what we're going to have for dinner tonight, even though it's a perfectly reasonable question. And better (laughs) to think about it three or four o'clock than five or six o'clock. So 
I have gotten Kendra's guide. She's given me all kinds of information. I've gone through my refrigerator and gotten rid of everything that we don't use, as she says you need to do. I've put labels on everything in our refrigerator so I know like what's in my produce drawer, what's in my drawer that has cheeses in it. Um, all my leftovers are labeled so I know what the dates are on those. So I'm making progress. This is going to be a long journey for me because it is very much not my jam, but I'm going to get I'm going to get to a place where we don't have that conversation at three or four o'clock anymore. Oh, my husband is a long term committed meal planner, so I don't cook in my home. I cook breakfast, but I don't cook dinner. But my husband does meal plan and he um, goes to the grocery store on Sunday, buys all the things and then we have the meals for the week. And it really does make things so much easier when he knows like, well, this is I have this in this plan. Which one do you want to eat or whatever? And then um, I mean... He's been doing it for a long time. I think it definitely makes our lives easier. I still don't think we have a great um, leftover. Still things, because here's what happens with the meal planning in our house. Like we have the meals planned and then sometimes the food goes to waste anyway because you have like an event pop up that you didn't think about or somebody works late and can't fix it. And so you have to order pizza. So it's not, I mean, it's, there's no perfect system, but I think it definitely goes a long way. Well, it's tough with leftovers, too, especially if you're making a new recipe and you don't really know how much you're going to have in the way of leftovers. So you can't really plan leftovers as a meal. But then right. sometimes you end up with three days of leftovers. It's just it's very tricky. But it's very tricky. I trust Kendra to work me through this. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsy Politics. We always appreciate you being here. We will be back in your ears on The Nuanced Life tomorrow with a great conversation about anxiety. And then here again on Friday, between now and then, you can reach out to us via social media or email. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant, which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at PantsuitPoliticsShow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.